Thanks for joining me for another episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Over the course of this podcast three seasons, the majority of the conversations have revolved around consumer-oriented issues and news about specific electric vehicles produced by automakers. In other words, informing would-be EV owners about the latest and greatest in emerging EV technologies. EV adoption in Canada is at the very root of the EV revolution we speak so often about on Plugged In. However, we really haven't addressed a key element in making that a reality. And that is the role governments play in transforming our transportation sector from gasoline to electricity. And so today we're dipping a toe into that murky but all-important world of electric vehicle public policy with someone well-suited to talk on the subject. Travis Allen is the Vice President, Public Affairs and General Counsel at Flow, one of North America's leading electric vehicle charging networks and manufacturer of charging solutions. In that capacity, the Ontario-based lawyer works with and advises numerous governments across North America on electric vehicle and climate policy matters. He is the Chair of Electric Mobility Canada's National Government Relations Committee, a member of the Editorial Advisory Board of Electric Autonomy, Chair of the Board at Project Neutral, and he has been selected as one of Canada's leading energy lawyers by Who's Who Legal. Thanks for joining us today, Travis. Oh, well, thank you very much for having me, Andrew. So before we get to things like conferences and government policy, I'd like to ask you, what is the first electric vehicle you ever drove? Gosh, um, I think it was a Chevy Bolt at a plug-and drive, ride and drive in the city of Guelph in Ontario. Plug and Drive is a local EV education organization that was founded here in Ontario and lets people try out EVs and learn about them in a low pressure environment. And I was working with them on a project in Guelph and they, they ran an amazing ride and drive. And uh, I think that was actually my first ever drive. So what was your impression at the time of driving an electric vehicle? Quiet and just amazing acceleration, just like I'd been promised. Right. And I had already been doing some some work on EV policy, but when I did that, I just realized, oh, you know what? <laughs> the vehicles are going to help make the case for us here. Right. Yeah, I've, I've often commented that I've never met anybody who's actually driven one or even driven in one that doesn't come away impressed. Even if they're a carburetor muscle car guy, you can't help but be impressed by an electric vehicle, how it drives and rides. Yeah, and the acceleration. I mean, you just, it's its exciting every time. For sure, for sure. So on to um, one of the topics we can talk about. The EV 2020 conference was last week, hosted by Electric Mobility, a two-day conference. You were in attendance. Of course, it was virtual, as we are all living in pandemic times. So it was done over Zoom or something, I assume. And, you know, from the bio I read at the beginning, you're, you're a government policy guy or you're a, a policy guy. And I'm assuming that those are kind of the workshops you listen to. What were your takeaways from the conference, from what you attended? I had a bunch of takeaways. I mean, first off, I was <laughs> I have to say, I was just really impressed with how uh, the team at Electric Mobility Canada managed to run a, a virtual conference in you know this this time and era. I found that we had some really great points. People people were really bringing their A game to the presentations. I thought they did a great job, and uh, I would say for me. You know, it started very strong with Minister Baines, who is, of course, the minister for ISED federally. 
he has a lot of important areas under his portfolio. But one of the things that's the most exciting is is that they've been working with the government of Ontario to fund certain automotive expansions or or factory refurbishments, particularly like the most well-known one that happened recently was with Ford in Oakville, where they're looking at bringing new EV manufacturing to Canada. So that's all kind of under Minister Baines's ministry. And, and I just loved hearing him talk about the economic opportunity and the possibilities for Canadian jobs all across Canada uh, as we transition to electrification. That's really exciting things to hear from a federal minister and a representative of the government. So for me, that was the big takeaway, the supply chain opportunities for Canadians. It seemed like every week for a while there, we were getting announcements about funding of converting these auto plants into electric auto plants, of either engines or batteries or something. It seems fitting in so many ways because, as we know, Windsor, a good part of southwestern Ontario, we've been part of the the, the big three, you know, building cars for a hundred years. As as long as they've been building them in Detroit, we've had a footprint in it in Canada. So it is nice to see the government and industry. I mean, you have to hand it to the big companies too. They're willing to invest in Ontario with these programs. Absolutely. And it's in many cases over a billion dollars per company. There's also, of course, uh, Fiat Chrysler in their Windsor plant, as you mentioned. And, you know, everyone's kind of looking and seeing, hey, is GM going to do something on this as well? And they're multi-year factory you know, changes that have to be made, it means that they're going to have jobs for, for many different years. So it's a, it's a pretty exciting investment on both sides and, of course, has a great potential, not just for the local communities where the employees live, but also Canada has a world-leading automotive supply chain industry. So it has uh, knock-on benefits for a whole bunch of different companies in the ecosystem. Right. And I think for the average person too, especially living in those communities, if they see these jobs coming associated to the electric vehicle industry, it gives them a sense that this thing is for real. It's not, you know, um, urban elites that can afford a hundred thousand dollar Tesla and driving around there. There's more of a kind of sense that this is a real industry that actually will create good paying jobs. That's exactly it. And it's, it's really underscoring and reinforcing the idea that this is about, regular Canadians, middle-class Canadians who are buying what I would call sort of more mid-market automobiles, as well as used vehicles, frankly, that is only to the good. I mean, of course, it's great to have really high-powered, beautiful, sexy um, EVs as well, because that creates a lot of market interest. But for us, we're that big hump past early adopters and into the the main markets in North America, it's it's critical to have the validation. Yeah. And something that plays into that too is pickup trucks, right? You know, I've had a few guests now when you ask, you know, what's the tipping point for EVs in Canada, they seem to say once pickup trucks are embraced, that really is signifying that this thing is a real thing that will help people not just in passenger vehicles, but in working vehicles too. I think that's right. I mean, North American consumers tend to really like both pickup trucks and SUVs. And so when we start seeing more commercially available pickup trucks, and also once the SUV category gets, I I would say, colored in a little bit more with some more makes and models of different price ranges, particularly BEVs, um, I think that will start to really appeal to a lot more consumers. Right, And it seems like that's coming soon. I don't know if it's flattering you calling you a policy wonk, but um, you know, as someone who who loves policy, were there anything in the conference that kind of surprised you 
I mean, something maybe that you didn't know about that's coming down the pipe? Well, I won't say I was totally surprised, but I, I was um, really pleased to see a couple different things. StatsCan did a presentation where they talked about some of their new infographics. They're starting to really get into the game of releasing data about new Zev sales. And it's one of those things where, <laughs> you know, people might think, oh, how important is that? And I would say it is critically important that we have publicly available data showing how we're doing in Canada in terms of achieving Canada's federal light duty vehicles of sale targets, and also where those sales are taking place, because it tells a very interesting story, first of all, about where EV adoption is happening in Canada. The answer, of course, being Quebec, British Columbia, and Ontario so far. And it also shows that Canada has been making some pretty good progress. We're over, I think, 3.5% in the first two quarters of 2020, pre-COVID, obviously. But we still have a long way to go to get to our first ZEV sales target, which is 10% by 2025. Right. I was really happy to see StatsCan making that data available. That's very exciting. Do you see that as something that the public doesn't really know about yet? You and I know it because we're paying attention, but the average person maybe doesn't know that. And is that what you're saying is we need to let people know that this is really occurring and here's where we are and the goal isn't really that far off. Yeah, right. And sorry, I had missed a key point, which is that that data tended not to be publicly available. So the main place that you could get it was by looking at, for example, interviews of various organizations who had access to private data sets that they paid for. Right. But it wasn't necessarily available to anybody who wanted to look. Right. Um, and so that was exciting because now it is. And right. now it's available on the StatsCan website. And I've heard that they're going to be releasing even more types of data sets, which is going to be great as well. Why is government policy important for the EV revolution, for the adoption of EVs in Canada? Why can't private sector just kind of work it out for themselves and say supply and demand, you know, the old uh, private sector chain with the consumer and let it go from there? Why do governments need to be involved? I guess there's a couple reasons why government has typically chosen to get involved. The main reason is one of timing. So Canada has global commitments with respect to greenhouse gas emissions, specifically under the Paris Accord. Canada has committed to various reduction targets and timelines, as well as other agreements. And right now, the government of Canada is not on track to meet those international obligations. We've had some great successes at reducing emissions from certain industrial sectors, from the power sector, for example, but we still have a long way to go on transportation emissions. Transportation emissions are the, depending on which jurisdiction you're looking at in Canada, typically the first or the second largest source of emissions. And so for the government to try to get where it needs to go by 2030, it needs to make a very serious improvement in those transportation emissions in relatively short order. And that is typically the main reason why a government would get involved in this kind of shift. It's because they, they want to really push action on um, reducing transportation emissions. And if we can find a way to convince Canadians to switch from an ICE engine to a BEV, that's likely to have a very significant impact on the emissions reductions. Right. Um, so that's that's the reason. There's the million dollar question right there, what you said. How can we convince people to make the shift? 
Yeah, so that's an emerging area, I would say. But I can tell you what the jurisdictions you've had the most success have done. So they start by setting a target. They start by saying, okay, in X year, we want to increase Zev sales by Y amount. Just over the weekend, Quebec announced very ambitious targets of 100% phase out of internal combustion engine vehicles by 2035, which is consistent with California, but puts Quebec absolutely in the leadership position in Canada. So setting those targets is the most important first step. Then typically jurisdictions that have done really well, they have offered uh, education. So helping you know consumers understand why EVs are better, not just for the environment, but also because they tend to have lower operational costs and lower maintenance, as well as great performance. And groups like Plug and Drive and a number of others across Canada have done a great job at that. And then it gets down to incentives. So we tend to see the highest level of EV adoption in provinces and states that have had sustained incentives to buy new light-duty EVs. And that's because historically there's been an upfront cost differential. ZEVs tend to cost more right now. It's predicted that that will go down and disappear by mid-2020s. But for now, having an incentive to encourage people to adopt EVs has been really effective. Another really key tool has been investing in charging infrastructure so that people feel really comfortable that when they are looking to buy an EV, there's going to be a place for them to charge when they're driving for a long trip or when they're having to do a bunch of errands around town. And if you look at places like Quebec and British Columbia and California, those jurisdictions pretty much all have that combination of policies And then they tend also to have some kind of supply requirement. So a ZEV standard or a ZEV mandate to make sure that there's enough EVs that are available when consumers want to buy them. Right. And as listeners of this podcast know, that has been a bit of a problem in the emergence of the, you know, the early days of EVs is, you know, people trying to get their hands on them is tough. Sometimes waiting lists, which discourages people and they'll, you know, instead buy an ICE vehicle because they can't get the electric they want. But As you pointed out, there's so many moving parts to this thing that are all moving kind of in the same direction, which to me is very fascinating. And another major moving part, if not the most important one, is the manufacturer of these vehicles. When people ask me, is this really going to happen? Is, you know, are we going to make this transition? That's what makes me realize it is going to happen because all these companies are committing billions of dollars to building electric vehicles. So it's almost like we're on the precipice of this thing it's kind of like a roller coaster. It's taking us forever to climb to the top of this thing. And are we going to make it? Are we going to make it? But it just seems like there's going to be a point when we get there that it's just going to, you know, we're going to all be with our arms in the air screaming as we go down because it's going to be overnight. Literally, you have these EVs everywhere. (laughs) I love the image of an electric roller coaster (laughs) riding down. Um, Yeah. And I would say the other big question is, are Canadians part of the economic transition, right? Because whenever you have this kind of massive change in the way people do things and the technologies they use. And I would add not just electrification, but also automation. So as vehicles get more driver assist features and are getting closer and closer to autonomous, like will Canada and its supply chain benefit from this transition to electric vehicles because if we're able to achieve that uh, on the vehicles and on the charging infrastructure not only are we getting environmental benefits we're also getting the economic benefits and i think to me that's the the kind of double win that we should all really be going for here 
As I said in the beginning, you're a vice president with Flow, um, one of North America's leading electric vehicle charging networks. What are you guys up to these days? You're obviously part of this rollout across the country of charging stations, of, of, of creating networks so people can feel confident driving their EVs around. What's news with your company these days? Yeah, there's been a couple big news stories. Our comms team has been busy. We just closed a $53 million equity and debt financing that was led by a great investment firm in in Montreal called MKB or MKB with a lot of institutional support. We've been growing rapidly in the United States. So we've had some great deployments in the city of Los Angeles where we adapted our curbside charging stations to go on their streetlights, which they had retrofitted so that they had energy efficient light bulbs and so they had more more electrical capacity and they wanted to do something with it. So we engineered some stations that could be mounted there. And then very recently, in fact, at the EMC EVVE conference, we launched the new Core Plus Max, which is really a higher powered level two AC charging station that is 80 amps and is designed primarily for the fleet and also medium duty segment. It's really, really targeted at things like e-school buses and other vehicles that have higher batteries, bigger batteries, and and might have a commercial uh, duty cycle. Right. You know, you're a lawyer by trade. Why are you in this space? I mean, law, you could go into anything in law. Why do you find yourself in the kind of sustainability and climate policy areas? What's drawn you to that? Gosh, um, one answer is uh, I grew up on a small island in British Columbia uh, in the middle of the forest. What island would that be? Oh, uh, North Pender Island. Okay, cool. My dad used to be a, a logger and worked out in the forest all the time. And I think I was really interested in environmental issues from a young age. But at the same time, I think that I was really drawn to the complexity of trying to change an entire transportation ecosystem. In, in this case, it's it's a whole industry that basically is being redesigned in front of our eyes. And I find that incredibly fascinating to be a part of and looking at the interplay of economics and incentives and uh, environmental issues and, of course, corporate issues. Yeah. And in this moment in time too, it's evolving. It's early days still, as I tell so many people when they seem skeptical about EVs. I mean, we'll look back in 25 years and think of these days as the, you know, not even the model A, you know, even before that. So uh, you do have your feet on the ground at a very interesting time to be involved in this. Oh, thank you. So last question, this idea of a, of a tipping point for EVs in Canada, what is the metric in your mind? What will be the thing that in your mind, we, you think back to the roller coaster, we've crested the hill and we're going downhill or uphill, whichever way you want to say it. <laughs> I think we've already had a couple milestones. So, I mean, we deployed a charging station up in the Yukon recently and I thought, okay, this is happening. <laughs> this is, this is really happening. <laughs> um, right. A lot of people use the metric of purchase price parity between ICE vehicles and BEVs, which I mentioned earlier, as one of the key indicators. Because at that point, I mean, cheaper to buy, cheaper to operate, great performance. It's going to be a no-brainer, particularly if there's enough vehicle availability. But I would say we'll know we've really done our jobs when we get a very significant portion of the fleet turned over. So we're, we're already hitting upper... 70s, 80% of new sales, but also we're really seeing that the fleet is turning over and folks are 
getting rid of their ICE vehicles and, and really moving towards ZEVs. That will give us critical mass on so many areas, but in particular in the charging sector, it'll be really helpful because it means big amounts of demand for public charging services. Right. Yeah, wonderful. Well, listen, Travis, I'm always tentative about talking about policy because sometimes it's a bit of an eye glazer, but that was really great. You, you really know your stuff and I can tell from your enthusiasm that uh, flow is in good hands. <laughs> well, thank you. And I hope I wasn't too boring. I know I can go off on <laughs> rants there, but <laughs> not at all. Thanks again. Thank you. The seismic shift from gasoline to electricity in the transportation sector is arguably the biggest, most complex transition facing the industrial world today, so it's no surprise that all levels of government are taking an active role in that transformation. Talking with Travis Allen, it's clear to see that public policy is essential for the EV revolution to continue on the course it is on, and it's encouraging to see the federal and provincial governments supporting not only electric vehicle adoption via ambitious goals and sales incentives, but also working with automakers to provide investment and jobs in the burgeoning clean energy economy. More provinces need to get involved. There really is no turning back, and it's either join the EV revolution or be left behind. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest Travis Allen, producer extraordinaire Dar McWana, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca. And be sure to subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode, and you'll also be able to listen to all the episodes from Seasons 1 and 2.